Right, okay. Um, so I gather myself here. <coughs> and uh, still on the demonology series. And uh, <coughs> tonight we move on to what's going to be the first, the first, the first, <laughs> the first of what I think think is uh, is going to be three three talks on on the subject of deliverance ministry so uh, we're sort of starting to get down a bit really now to um, to brass tacks and um, <clears throat> so the two questions we're going to approach now and answer over this next three studies is uh, one how do you know if someone is demonized and then secondly how do you bring them to freedom if they are? All right. Um, now, what we're going to do is uh, have, have, have two talks on the first question. The first question really being this, how do you know if someone is demonized? And that is where we're going to be tonight. How do you know if someone's got demons or uh, evil spirits or a demon or an evil spirit? Call them what you will. Now, there, there are two areas that we've got to cover on this. <clears throat> and the first area is this. What I'm going to call when it's obvious. The first area that we've got to cover is what I'm going to call obvious demonization. And the second area that we've then got to move on to cover is when it's not at all obvious uh, that someone is demonized, and when it takes a specific gift of the Holy Spirit, i.e. the discerning of spirits, to reveal the fact that someone is demonized. And I want to emphasize, I did this before, I'm going to do it again, the mere fact that there is a gift of the Holy Spirit called the discernment of spirits tells us that often, and I'd go farther, usually demonization is not the slightest bit obvious. If it was, you wouldn't need a revelatory gift of the Spirit to show you that someone was demonized. And I want you to put it out of your head once and for all that demonization, and indeed casting demons out, is necessarily dramatic. It can be, but it is not necessarily. In fact, usually it isn't at all. And you remember last time I think it was, I said this, and here's a foundational principle on this subject. Think Bible, not Hollywood. All right? And we saw last time that the Gadarene demoniac was the only such example in the entire Bible of someone demonized in that particular way. Now we'll be moving on to that in more detail in later talks. But demonization is sometimes obvious, but usually it is not obvious. And what we're going to do tonight is obvious demonization. We're going to look and we're going to see that when someone being demonized is obvious, when it speaks for itself. It is clear. Now I've got to say that this should be a very, very straightforward point. But I'm afraid 
it isn't. Um, in this, this series, we're going to be having about 12 talks. Now, that's a lot of talks. That's a lot of Bible study on a subject that I've already said the Bible doesn't say much about. Now, if it was the case that everyone in this fellowship, and indeed every Christian out there, had what I would call a, 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 a blank sheet of paper in their mind on this subject, i.e. were starting from scratch without any preconceived ideas and without having been influenced by any false teaching at all, then we would be covering the entire series easily in five talks. But I'm doing it in 12. Now, is this because I don't believe in saying in one sentence what I can say in ten paragraphs? No, it's not. We've got to take so long about it because of all the false teaching and the wrong ideas that there are. So this series is so long because false teaching and wrong presuppositions have got to be destroyed. It's not as straightforward as just teaching what the Bible says about it. We've got to demonstrate what the Bible doesn't say about it, but which loads of Christians think it does say about it, because they've been misled. So therefore, we've got to go the longer way round. Now, in regards to this point about when is demonization obvious, again, if every believer had a blank sheet of paper in their mind on that thing, then it would just be a quick point made in a Bible study about demonization. But however, we've got to take the long way round, all right? And again, it's because of the false teaching and the strange ideas that are around on the Christian scene. Now, I've told you there are two areas we've got to go into. We're going to look at obvious demonization, i.e. when it is clear, no doubt about it, i.e. no discernment needed, obvious. And then the second area is when it's not obvious and discernment is needed, all right? But you see, the problem with this first section on when it's obvious is that it all depends on what you consider to be obvious demonization, doesn't it? Um, I'm going to explain later on what biblically constitutes obvious demonization. But in regards to this, we've got a bit of red herring bashing to do first, all right? And one of the problems with teaching in the Christian faith today, not just in regards to demons, but any subject that needs to be taught on, um, is that there is a, a, a real failure to think the subject through in the rational, logical and comprehensive manner that the Bible encourages us to do. Just go to Acts, Acts chapter 20. And something that, that Paul said to uh, the elders at the Ephesian church, Acts chapter 20, and if you find verse 27, he's, um, he's finished his work in this church, he's moving on, and he gets all the elders together, and he gives them the last, his last words of advice, as it were. And in verse 27, he says this. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I.e., he said, I've taught you, as it were, everything. I've done it in 
completeness. One of the things that makes me laugh, actually, on the Christian scene, it's almost ironic, is you get this phrase, full gospel, don't you? You get full gospel churches, you get full gospel businessmen's fellowship. And what makes me laugh is that the thinking behind that is that they say that it's full gospel because not only are they born again, they're baptised with the Spirit. That's not the full gospel. Being born again is step one, but being baptised with the Spirit is supposed to follow on immediately. And yet this idea of full gospel. And lots and lots of Christians think that because they're baptised with the Spirit, that's the full gospel. Let me tell you, it's a tiny little bit of it. And what Paul is saying to this church here, he says, look, I have taught you comprehensively everything that you need to know. And when he says this, I had, did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. This word counsel, the Greek word is boule, and it's from the verb in the Greek which means to consult and to take advice. And it means thoroughgoing consultation in order to reach a conclusion. It means to resolve. It means to go into something and to resolve whatever the problem or lack of understanding is at that point. And what Paul is saying when he speaks about, I proclaim to you the whole counsel of God, he's saying that it's only when you get a picture of what the Bible teaches comprehensively about something that you're going to get the true picture. When you're thinking about a subject, unless you get everything that the Bible says on that subject and take everything into account, you're, going to get, you're not going to get the full picture. If you just take bits and pieces here and there out of context, it's absolutely no good. And it's this appalling standard of teaching in the churches today that is doing so much harm and in regards to demons the reason there's so much wrong teaching going about is quite frankly because people pick and choose they get a bit here a bit there uh, they leave out the bits that they can't do anything with that don't fit in with the pre you know the presupposed idea they're trying to get across so they leave certain bits out because they don't fit and then they, they teach authoritatively on the tiny little bits that they've got. And it's absolutely hopeless. Unless you've got all the data, unless you're taking the whole picture into account, you're going to go wrong. And when you get this, this rather sloppy, uh, insubstantial and incomplete Bible teaching, and, you know, indeed sloppy thinking, because that's what's behind it, you're going to get wrong conclusions every time. Now, one of the things that throws a lot of people when they get converted is they read books and they go and hear various preachers and stuff like that. And, uh, and then maybe, if they're fortunate, at a later date, they realise, crumbs, you know, I've just, been, I've just been taking in unbiblical rubbish here. This is, this is crud. But you see, part of the reason they do that is because they read the books, they hear the speakers. And at the time, it sounds so logical, doesn't it? It sounds so plausible. You're listening to it, um, you're kind of thinking, well, I mean, they must know what they're talking about because they're speaking at a meeting. And it all sounds so logical. You come away thinking, well, that must be right. After all, you know, they were reading verses from the Bible. And it sounds logical. But here's the danger. Not all logic is good logic. I'll give you an example, all right. All cats have four legs. I'm going to give you an example of, some, of, of logic when it goes wrong. All cats have four legs. Daisy 
has got four legs. Therefore, well, Daisy is a cat, isn't she? Which is fine until she starts mooing. <laughs> now, you see, that rather simplistic logic sounds all very well until you realise the assumption that because cats have four legs, everything else therefore has four legs is a wrong assumption. It hasn't been thought through properly. It sounds good, it sounds snappy, but it's sloppy. It hasn't been thought through in its entirety. Now, in regards to this, it's exactly what we've got to do. We've got to look at this in a complete way so that we get the whole picture. And it's that false logic, that sloppy thinking, that, that bad teaching that has caused so much confusion in so many Christians' minds in regards to people being demonized. And nowhere more than the question, when is demonization obvious? I'm gonna show you later that there is a clear, undeniable, single factor which alone constitutes obvious demonization. But bad thinking has led people to believe that there are loads of things which are obvious demonization. And here's where it goes wrong. In that example I gave you, there was a failure to take into account that just because Daisy has got four legs and cats have four legs, not all things that have four legs are cats, cows do as well. There's a simple miscalculation, a failure to properly think that through. Now, in regards to how do you know when someone is obviously demonized, a similar mistake is made, and it's quite simply this. You see, there are any number of effects, um, cause and effect. There are any number of effects that the indwelling presence of a demon might have on somebody. So there's no two ways about it at all. You can simply observe from maybe experience of people whom you've known who have been demonized and maybe whom you've cast demons out of. You can look at various effects that that demon had on them. But you see, here is the important point. There are certain effects, which we'll see later, which only occur through the indwelling presence of a demon. But there are many, many other effects that whereby they may well be caused by a demon could also be being caused by a hundred other different things as well. Do you get the point? And what we're going to see is that too readily the logic is this, demons can have this effect on someone, X. So-and-so over here is exhibiting symptom X. Therefore, so-and-so over here is demonized. It's obvious, in it? And the mistake is the failure to take into account that there are certain effects that whereas a demon can have on someone, other factors could be having exactly the same effect on them and it is nothing to do with demons at all. Think of it like this. The indwelling presence of anything in the human body is going to create side effects. Be it a demon, be it too much alcohol, be it laughing gas or a salmonella infested bit of chicken. Something inside is going to affect, is going to create side effects. But the same effect could be caused by quite different things. 
i.e., if you went round to see someone and they were in the toilet, throwing up everywhere, being really violently sick, all right, you might think, oh, they've obviously eaten a bit of salmonella-infested chicken. It's obvious, isn't it? It might not be. They might have just got roaring drunk. Is he? It might be alcohol poisoning. It might be any number of things. And what we've got to do is to realise that not everything that looks demonic is necessarily demonic at all. Let me give you some examples here to try and pin this down in, in your mind. Let's, let's just suppose for one minute that if, if someone who's got a demon problem, all right, we're talking now someone who's demonised. Now, if someone is demonised, either they've got a demon or demons inside them, all right, it's certainly possible that if that person is then in some way exposed to the power of God, that they come into the presence of the power of God, all right, it's at least a possibility that the demon or demons inside of them is going to react to the fact that because their host is in the presence of the power of God, so are they. So it's quite possible that a demonized person is going to react to that. The demons inside of them are going to respond and react, all right? Now, if the demon or demons do react, all right, to being in the presence of God, then it's quite possible that an effect, an outward effect, will be observable in that person physically, all right? So saying we've got someone and they've got demons or a demon. They come under the umbrella of the power of God. Maybe they're coming to the meeting or whatever, and the power of the Lord is moving. Now, if someone is sitting there with demons, it's quite possibly the demons ain't going to like that. They don't like the power of the Lord. The demons may well start reacting in that person. If they do, it's possible that they're going to actually cause physical, physically observable effects on the person who's got the demons. Now, let's see, let's say that the effect in any one instance is that they start twitching. Now, I've, I've seen this. I've seen people who were demonized and when exposed to the power of God, that they did start twitching. They lost control of their body. The demons were getting, you know, kind of ruffled inside of them. All right, no problem. So, we now have a demonically caused twitch. We've now got someone in the meeting going, you know, like that. Now then, and it's being caused by a demon. However, the fact that someone starts twitching in such a situation does not necessarily mean they're demonized. Now, can you get the point? It might be a nervous twitch. If people have got nervous twitches, nervous twitches can get worse and more pronounced if the person gets excited. So therefore, if a Christian with a nervous twitch is in the presence of the power of God, they may well be getting excited because they're a Christian. So their twitch might well get worse because they're excited. What you there have is a Holy Spirit anointed twitch, not a demonic one. Can you see the difference? So it might be, it might be a nervous twitch. Uh, it might be a twitch caused by um, motor neurone damage in the brain. There are motor neurone diseases that people have. 
when they literally lose control of their limbs. It might be that. That would be nothing to do with a demon, would it? Uh, might be Dave and Gary mucking about. You know, it, it could be anything. Do you get the point? I'm just trying to give you an example that there, something which may well be the result of a demon reacting in someone, the effect, twitching or whatever, or spasms of some kind, does not necessarily mean that because someone twitches in that situation, they've got a demon. The effect is the same, twitching, and you could for twitching put any number of things. But the causes can be quite different. So therefore, if you can, if you're of the thought, all right, well, someone's in a meeting and the power of God's there and they start twitching, well, it's obvious, isn't it? It's a demon. Lots of Christians think like that. They're not taking into account that it might be other things. And there you have this kind of twisted, uh, screwed up logic. Again, the lack of understanding the situation fully. Um, another example. Um, demon infestation in someone's life may, well, for instance, cause nightmares. Um, you know, I mean, again, I'm using things that I know from, a, you know, my own personal experience can be true. I, if someone's got demons, they may well suffer from the most terrible nightmares. But let me say from the outset, nightmares are not automatically a symptom of being demonized. There are any number of things that can cause nightmares. I mean, for heaven's sake, you might, um, I mean, if someone who can't take a good old horror film, watches horror film, don't be surprised if you get nightmares. You know, so someone who watches horror films and it frightens them after death and have nightmares, stop watching horror films. It's not demons. You've been frightened. In the same way that you might be out shopping one day and you walk out in front of a bus and it misses you by an inch and you're terrified, you might well have nightmares about that. Uh, you might be married. You might one night have a nightmare about your partner dying. I remember one night having a dream as real as anything and Blinda left me. That was a nightmare totally real but nothing to do with demons because you know I mean you know dreams can represent something not represent but dreams can be caused simply by things going on inside you obviously you get something on your mind and maybe in a funny kind of way you end up dreaming about it I remember the nightmares Doctor Who gave me as a child incidentally that was why Doctor Who was so fantastic precisely because I had to watch it from behind the sofa it's brilliant you see there are lots of different reasons for nightmares and possibly the most famous is this some people must not eat cheese before they go to bed you know even the wrong kind of food last thing at night can actually give you an upset stomach and that can actually set off dreams a well-known fact all right so again demonic infestation may in some people cause nightmares but what you cannot do is to say, therefore, if someone's got nightmares, well, they're demonized, aren't they? Um, another example, and this came up last week. Someone who has a demon may well at time have fits. Um, incidentally, after I became a Christian, uh, the first sort of like real tangible sign I had that something was up um, was that I could be talking to someone and a couple of minutes later, I'm looking up at them from the floor. And I was just falling, I was losing total control of my body. I'd be talking to someone, then I'd freak out. Now, I'd never had a fit in my life. 
Now, it wasn't a fit. It was the demons reacting to the fact I'd just become a Christian. And thankfully, within a couple of days, they were cast out. Um, so fits can be caused by demons. We saw last week that the father who came to Jesus and his little boy had a demon, and the demon was creating fits in the boy. All right. But there are other things that can cause fits. There is epilepsy, and it's a disease, or it's, it's a malfunction in the brain. It's not a disease, it's a malfunction. Um, but it can be successfully, in some cases, treated with drugs. Now, let me tell you um, that if you've got, I mean, if someone who's got a demon, they don't know it, but they're having fits and it's a demon, and they go to a doctor and the doctor thinks, oh, epilepsy, and they put them on the prescribed medication. Let me tell you, that medication won't stop the fits. Because those fits are nothing to do with something wrong in the brain. They're being caused by the presence of an indwelling evil spirit. So it wouldn't do any good at all. Um, you know, so fits can be a sign of demonic infiltration, for instance. But you can't look at someone having a fit and saying they're obviously demonized. You can't even, uh, I mean, there was a guy who used to come here, I mean, he hasn't been for a very long time, I'm going back years and years ago, and he had epilepsy. And it was quite normal, um, you know, that, that suddenly he'd start having a fit. And, you know, facial contortions and things like that. He wasn't writhing around all over the floor. They were only what, like, what I call medium fits, as it were. But we were well aware this wasn't demons manifesting, although I have no doubt that through the years a lot of people came here who thought it was. They thought, when are they going to get around to casting his demons out? He had epilepsy. Absolutely nothing to suggest he had demons at all. So can you see an effect of fit can have different causes, a demon or something else, epilepsy, you name it. Okay. So basically what we're seeing here is that when it comes, I'm going to show you a way that you can tell biblically when there is obvious demonization. But the problem is that many, many Christians, they say, oh yes, of course there's obvious demonization. But what they've got in their category as obvious is sheer nonsense. It's not obvious demonization at all. Now, before I go on to say, right, how do you definitely know that someone's demonized? Uh, there's another point here that we've got to get straight, all right? And again, it's because it's a point whereby many, many Christians would say, ah, obvious demonization, all right? And now we're going to go back to, we we're on this uh, in, in past talks, and it's back to the whole thing about demons making people sin, all right? Now... There are loads of books on demonology and how do you diagnose, and incidentally, diagnose is one of the words that these people use. There are chapters on diagnosing demons, for heaven's sake. And these people are absolutely serious about it, all right? Um, and you'll remember in the first talk, I mentioned a book called Pigs in the Parlor, and that, that was the American book by Frank Hammond, incredibly influential worldwide. Now, I'm just gonna quote you from Pigs in the Parlor to give you an idea of what I want to cover um, at this juncture. Now I'm quoting Frank Hammond, all right? We can learn today to detect evil spirits by observing what they are doing to a person. Some of the most common symptoms of indwelling demons are as follows. Got a list for you here. Resentment, hatred, anger, fear, 
feeling unwanted, feeling unloved, self-pity, jealousy, depression, worry, inferiority, insecurity, procrastination, indecision, recurring unclean thoughts, homosexuality, fornication, adultery, and just in case he's left anything out, he puts etc, etc. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, there's an absolutely vital point here to make that you've got to grasp. What we're seeing here is a book, all right, I've just quoted from a book that is saying the presence of sin in someone's life indicates the presence of a demon. That's what he's saying. This list of sins, um, you know, etc., etc., are the sign of a demonic presence. Now, what I want to say is this. Things such as the things in that list we've just looked at, they simply point to the presence of a sinful nature in someone. They do not in the slightest point to the presence of demons in somebody. Let me say this. I do not need a demon in order to end up feeling sorry for myself. I will tell you, I'm a big boy now, I can do that all on my own. <laughs> can you see the point? I'm quite capable of coming up with things on this list unaided by anyone. In fact, for some of these things, they're the most natural thing in the world to me. All right? We've seen in an earlier talk that the New Testament epistles, and they are the ones above everything else in the Bible that are really saying, right, you're Christians, this is how you live the Christian life. All right. And we've seen that the epistles go on and on and on and on about the fact that our sinfulness comes from our sinful nature. It goes on and on and on, the Bible, about the fact that our problem is our sinful natures, not demons. The epistles in the New Testament hardly mention demons or the devil at all. It's not a no mention whatsoever, but incredibly rare references to Satan and demons. All right. And we're back to understanding this. I am my biggest problem. You are your biggest problem, not evil spirits. And if you are someone who suffers, uh, has a real struggle with self-pity, um, with jealousy, uh, with recurring unclean thoughts, for example, that doesn't mean you've got an evil spirit. What it, you may have an, um, you know, a demon, but you're not going to find out by saying, oh, well, this person has recurring unclean thoughts. That is not what could give the game away that this person had a demon. 
alright. All that rubbish is coming, not from evil spirits in us, that rubbish is coming from our own hearts. There are just some scriptures, that um, a list of scriptures here. Go first to Galatians, and I want to, at this point, show you something which I think is interesting. I think it's the giveaway to an awful lot of the wrong teaching around about this. Find Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to read from verse 19. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. And Paul says this, Now the works of the flesh are plain. Immorality, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party spirit, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. And then he goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit is. Now, what you've got here is a list in the Bible very, very similar to the lists that I've read you out from some of these books about demonology. But when we read these lists out from the books about demonology, what have we seen? They're all the names of demons. Here is the, the closest thing you're going to get to such a list. And what does Paul say this is? He says it's the works of the flesh. Can you see, not demons, the works of the flesh. Jealousy, selfishness, are these demonic problems? They're not demonic problems. They're a problem with the flesh. They're the problem with our sinful natures. Go on to Colossians, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And verse 5. And Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once walked when you lived in them. But now put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, foul talk. Now, there we've got another list similar to these lists of demons that we find in books about demonology. The only problem here is what does Paul say about them? Are they demons? No, he says they're earthly. He says, put these things to death in yourselves. He doesn't say minister to each other and cast them out. They're not demons. It is our sinfulness. All right. Uh, go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, and find chapter 3. This one isn't about Christians particularly, this is just about people in general. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and um, we'll read from verse 1. Paul says, but understand this, 
that in the last days there will come times of stress. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, inhuman, implacable, slanderers, profligates, fierce, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, pleasure rather than the lovers of God. But is he talking about demons there? No, he's not. He's saying that that's what people are going to increasingly be like because we are sinful. So, therefore, what we've seen, we've seen lists of demons, haven't we, in these books and from these Bible teachers, these lists of demons of this, that and the other. We've now seen equivalent lists in the Bible. But in the Bible, what are the lists? Are they names of demons? No, they're not. They're names of our sins. You see what I mean? Not demons, human sin. Nothing to do with demons whatsoever. We've already seen last time the teaching from Paul that tells us that undealt with sin can indeed let demons into our lives. We saw that last time, didn't we? But again, we've got to underline demonization is never, ever the cause of sin. Never, all right. Even occult sin, even think occult sin, um, which is to positively beg to get demons, all right, when people go into occult sin. Um, even occult sin is not entered into because of demons. And this is what I want to emphasize. No sin is ever committed because of demons, okay? Occult sin, like any other, is entered into because God hates it and the human race is in rebellion against him. Can you see? No one, even a witch, no one becomes a witch or a medium or even a Satanist because they're demonized. If they do those things, they may well end up demonized, but no one ever becomes a witch or a medium or a Satanist because they're demonized. People become a witch or a Satanist or a medium because they're sinful and because they want to become a witch or a medium or a Satanist. Can you see what I'm saying? People are doing these things of their own free will. We're back to what we were in last week. Demons cannot make you sin. They can come up with suggestions, they can tempt you, but they cannot make you. Now, even in regards to, say, at the absolute extreme, becoming a Satanist, when someone becomes a Satanist, it's because they want to become a Satanist. They may well end up demonized, but they didn't become a Satanist because they were demonized. Demonization may be the result of that sin, but it certainly isn't the cause of it. Now, can you see where we're going? We've got to get away once and for all that demons cause sin in people. They don't. Let me put it like this. People don't sexually molest 
and then kill children because they're demonised. They do it because they want to do it. Now that must be underlined in our minds. Even something at the extreme of molesting and killing little children. No one's doing that because they're demonised. They're doing it because they like doing it and because they want to do it. Now such a person may well end up demonised, but if they do, it's because they're doing things like that. But they're not doing things like that because they're demonised. The sin comes first. Demonisation may or may not follow, but it's always the sin that comes first. Now, one tendency that I've noticed, all right, and I've noticed it in myself as well, and it's quite simply this. On a day-to-day -day level, when we're taught things like adultery and lying and, and theft and stuff like that, we're all reasonably happy, aren't we, to say, well, yeah, that is the sinfulness of the human heart. But when really terrible, <laughs> excuse me, <coughs> when really terrible things happen, like murderers, child abusers, evils like that, I notice the tendency in so many Christians to say, well, they must be demonized. Now, when we do that, what we're saying is, no one's that evil. We're saying it's evil spirits that are that evil, not people. Humans aren't that evil. And as soon as you get the kind of sin that offends even the basest criminal, our tendency is to say, well, they must have been demonized, mustn't they? That was a demon doing it. Now, let me tell you, we think like that for one reason, it's because we want to pass the buck for our sin onto Satan. And we cannot do it. It means that we don't appreciate exactly just how evil we are. Sin, up to a certain degree, we will put down to the human heart. But when sin tips the balance and goes into obscenity even by the lowest criminal's definition, then we want to say it's demons. Can you see the point? We'll consider human beings to be sinful up to a point, but anything above that, I'll note that's demons. Now why? I'll tell you, it's because we think, well, Satan is evil. You're absolutely right. And we say demons are evil, and we're absolutely right. But there's one more sentence to be added to that, to complete it. So are we. So are we. Satan is evil. Demons are evil. What about us? What does the Bible say about us and our hearts? It says the heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand? And deceitful above all things. Now, can you see the point there? This tendency to accept that humans are responsible for sin to a certain level, but anything above that level, well, of course, demons have taken over, haven't they? That is absolute poppycock. Demons may be loving it. Demons may be positively flocking around people doing such things. 
But the demons are there because they're doing it. They're not doing it because the demons were there. The sin came first, not the demons. That is always the important thing that we must realise in regards to this. I don't know if you remember when we did the Salvation series, but um, we saw one of the things that went on in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve sinned, after they fell. And what we saw was this, that when, when, when God got the two of them together and said, what, basically, what is going on? Do you remember, we saw that Eve tried to blame the serpent, didn't she? You know, sort of like, the serpent deceived me, he, he made me eat, blah, 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 all right, all that sort of stuff. She tried to blame the serpent. Now, Eve. Oh, oh sorry, yes, yeah, this, this, is not, this is not in any way personal in regards to Eve. I'm, 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 talk, I'm talking about Adam's, Adam's wife here, not Adam's mum, all right? Um, Eve tried to blame the devil. But when God's judgment descended on all of them, all right, Satan got judged for tempting Eve. But Eve was judged for going along with him. Can you see? Um, what Satan did was his fault. What Eve did was her fault. And what Adam did was his fault. Now, when Adam, when, when God got round to Adam, do you remember Adam said, well, well, the woman whom you gave me, you see, so, so he, he tried to blame Eve and God. His first thing was, she made me do it, and, 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 and you made her in the first place. You see, it, it was buck-passing the whole time. Now, the point is, Adam, got, Adam was held responsible and judged for what he did. Eve was held responsible and judged for what she did. Satan was held responsible and judged for what he did. And God didn't get those three different things mixed up in any way at all. So therefore, we've got to be very, very careful that like Eve, we don't end up trying to use Satan as a convenient way of passing the buck for our sinfulness. Can you see? Trying to put it down to demons. And these books such as the one I've quoted for, when, you know, sort of like the symptom of demonization is jealousy, worry, recurring unclean thoughts. I mean, I won't actually ask, but if I did, will any male here who does not suffer from that put their hands up? There wouldn't, ha you know, there, there, there wouldn't be a hand guard. Can you see? So, I mean, that would at least land us, uh, that certainly um, amongst Christians who are prepared to be honest about themselves, that would mean, therefore, that every Christian man lives his life demonised. I mean, it's stupid, isn't it? These are problems of our sinful hearts, not to do with demons. But these books are saying, oh, problem with recurring sinful thoughts. It's demonisation. Jealousy? You've got a problem with jealousy? There's a demon here. What? You, you, you haven't forgiven them? You can't forgive them. Oh, well, it's a demon, isn't it? And can you see human sinfulness being replaced by the activity of demons? So we can blame the devil and we're no longer accountable or responsible for our own sinfulness. And that is the little game that evil, deceitful human hearts have been playing since the Garden of Eden. 
And a lot of the teaching on demonology today is simply the 20th century charismatic version of what Eve did in the Garden of Eden. Tried to buck pass and blame it all on to devil. So what we're seeing is sin is not a sign of demonization. All right? It's far too simplistic. Sin is never a sign of demonization. Sin is rather our natural state with or without demons. I was a desperately sinful human being the day before my demons were cast out. When I had my demons cast out, I remained a desperately sinful human being. Can you see? Sinfulness doesn't decrease when demons get kicked out because demons are not the cause of sin. And every person alive, every Christian alive, no matter how long they followed the Lord, every Christian yet has sin in their lives. Now what that tells us is quite simply this. If, as Frank Hammond said in his book, that sin is a sign of demonization, then that would mean, if everyone has a problem with sin, that that would mean that everyone is therefore demonized. Now here, with many of these Bible teachers, we have to say that here at least they're being logical because that is what they teach. But now we've got to ask, right, does the Bible therefore teach that everyone is demonized? Now, what I want to show you, and it's very easy to, you probably won't have thought of it like this, but it's very, very easy to, that not only does the Bible not teach that everyone is demonized, the Bible actually teaches that people who are demonized are the statistical rarity. They are not the statistical norm. Let me ask, all right, when did Jesus cast demons out of his 12 disciples? When did he do the deliverance bit? When did Jesus get shot of their demons? Now, for someone to say that that happened, but the disciples didn't record it in the Gospels, would be lunatic. It would be something of paramount importance. If Peter, and we're given a lot of info about Peter, if Peter or James and John got to the point where Jesus was casting the demons out of them that they obviously had because everyone has them, where is it? Why don't the Gospels tell us about the disciples being set free from their demons? I'll tell you, they didn't have any. The one bit of information we do have about the twelve is that Judas ended up demonized, ended up demonized. Now we're going to be looking at that in a later talk. But let me put it to you that if the Bible specifically tells us that even Judas, who was a thief, who was a betrayer, who didn't even get born again, all right, he never actually got born again, old Judas, all right, why would the Bible make a specific point that right at the Last Supper, Judas became demonized if he'd been demonized all the time? So even Judas only ended up demonized, i.e. the 12 disciples 
didn't have demons cast out of them. Why not? Because they didn't have any demons. Why not? Because most people don't have any demons. It's as simple as that. There could well have been someone who did have demons, but as it so happens, they didn't. Can you see? But if Jesus had called two or three other people, they might have had, but the 12 didn't. Let me ask you this. Paul, twice in the Bible, gives his testimony in great detail. He talks about how he became a Christian, how he was born again. He talks about when and how he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He talks about his call into ministry. Basically, he runs over the whole thing, his whole testimony, twice in the Bible, once in the Acts, once in Galatians. When did he have his demons cast out? Well, I put it to you, he didn't have any demons. I mean, how could Paul have omitted, with the great detail he goes into about his testimony, wouldn't it be stupid if, if I went somewhere and gave my testimony and missed the bit about my demons being cast out? Wouldn't that be... It's a pretty incomplete story without it. Or Robert, imagine Robert's testimony. But he misses out the bit where his demons were cast out. If Paul had had demons, he'd have told them that bit as well. So the fact that Paul doesn't recount in his testimony about when he had his demons cast out is quite simply he didn't have demons in the first place. And most people in the Bible didn't have demons. Believers, unbelievers, or what have you. We saw last time, didn't we, um, that the Bible specifically tells us that Mary Magdalene had seven evil spirits cast out of her. Now, if the Bible was coming from the angle everyone has demons, well, why remark that Mary Magdalene had demons cast out of her? If, if everyone has demons cast out of them when they become a Christian, or ought to have, or will eventually have, i.e. if everyone walking this earth have demons, and then when they get converted, the beginning of the process of them having their demons cast out can start, or if everyone is demonized, as people like Frank Hammond would maintain, then why does the Bible bother to tell us that Mary has seven demons cast out of her? What would be the point? I tell you, the Bible specifically tells us that Mary Magdalene had seven demons cast out of her because she is statistically the abnormal. It was worth mentioning because it doesn't happen very often. If everyone's demonized, it wouldn't be worth mentioning. So the Bible tells us that Mary had demons cast out of her precisely because of the, the, the fair, fairly large number of people who follow Jesus closely and personally, and she did, she was in Jesus' entourage, precisely because the majority of them didn't have demons and had never had demons. Mary did, so it gets a mention, all right? So that what we've got is quite simply that demonization is not the statistical norm. We read nothing about the 12 disciples having their demons cast out. Well, when did their demons get cast out? Well, they didn't because they didn't have any. Uh, when did Paul the Apostle get his demons cast out? How could he omit that bit from his testimony? Well, I'll tell you, because it wasn't part of his testimony. He didn't have demons. Um, and it's like anyone here who has never had demons, if you heard them give their testimony, they're not going to tell you about when they got their demons cast out, are they? Because they never did. 
You know, I mean, if, if you ever hear me giving my testimony, you will never hear me tell the story about how I got my first Rolls Royce. So I've never had one. Can you see? So statistically, statistically, the Bible comes from the direction that demonization is statistically the exception and not the norm. Now, I'm not in the slightest bit saying don't ever therefore expect to encounter demonization. We will encounter demonization. I'm not saying it's so rare that only one in every 10,000 people have it. It's, it's, it's more common than that. But what I'm saying is the idea that everyone has got demons and according to these books, I mean, for heaven's sake, I mean, when you get things like resentment, unforgiveness, feeling unloved, I mean, for heaven's sake, that would mean that not only does everyone have demons, but everyone must have hundreds of the things that the Bible just does not come from that angle. The Bible comes from the far more undramatic, unexciting, but sober angle that demonization does happen, but not everyone is demonized. But when you do meet someone who's demonized, if they want to be free and follow the Lord, then cast the demons out. All right. So basically what we've got so far in this talk is simply this. I've tried to demonstrate to you that whereas I'm going to now show you what is obvious demonization as far as the Bible is concerned, this has got complicated by other things that Christians would say, oh, that was obvious, obviously it's demonization, i.e. sin or, for instance, having nightmares or having a fit or twitching or something like that, all right? Now, I've shown you that, that that lot, sin included, is not obvious demonization. It's a symptom of nothing but sin or the fact that someone's ill, i.e. they're having fits, can you see? Not obviously a sign of demonization. So what we've got to do now is we've got to say, right, having got that lot behind us then, out of the way, what are the signs about of obvious demonization? How can we know when we're in the presence of somebody whom the Bible would say is obviously demonized, you don't need discernment, you don't need to say, Lord, will you show us whether this person is demonized? Because it is absolutely obvious that they're demonized. All right. So therefore, what is obvious demonization as opposed to non-obvious, which we start to deal with next time? Well, it is really so simple. And when I say this, I think you'll think, this is so obvious, I don't know why I didn't always think like that. All right. And it's quite simply this. If somebody is subject to or able to accomplish anything which is clearly supernatural and which isn't the working of the Holy Spirit, then you have someone who is obviously demonized. You see the point? If someone is being subjected to something which is supernatural, or if someone is able to accomplish things which are clearly supernatural and yet they are not doing these things as Christians in the power of the Holy Spirit, there you have an obvious case of demonization, period. Anything outside of that can, cannot be taken as a clear sign of demonization, as we'll see next time. But when you've got people who have supernatural power 
which is not of the Holy Spirit, and that can be tested quite easily according to the Bible and the fruit of their lives, there you have someone who is demonized. Let's, let's kind of go into some examples here. I think it will become obvious. The Gadarene demoniac type of stuff is obvious demonization. Now you remember the story, we did it in detail last week. But what I will say is this, even the Gadarene demoniac, even he or they, because we saw there were two of them, there was actually all the stuff they were doing, naked, living in caves, damaging themselves, lashed, cussing themselves and stuff like that, right? There was actually only one thing about those two which made it obvious demonization. Who'd like to say what it was? Yeah, the fact they could break the chains. Because that was impossible. It is not possible for a human being to break chains. Not but these people... <laughs> but the gathering demoniacs, even when they were chained up with proper metal or steel chains, they were able to break them. Now, the fact that they ran around like wild men naked no, that is not obvious demonization, that could be madness. The fact that they cut themselves, that they damage themselves, that's not obvious demonization. Some people do that. Uh, you know, the fact that they lived amongst the tombs, that's not obvious demonization. There are other things that could explain that. But the fact that they could break change, they had supernatural strength, which was clearly not a <coughs> gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I say that their supernatural strength was clearly not a gift of the Spirit, uh, I don't deduce that uh, by saying there isn't a gift of supernatural strength that comes from the Holy Spirit, because in fact there is. One of the gifts of the Spirit is supernatural strength. How do I know that? Someone called Samson in the Bible. Samson, the gift, one of the gifts that he had was that he was supernaturally strong. But that came clearly from the Lord, it was a gift of the Holy Spirit, because Samson was a believer, he was following the Lord. But the gathering demoniacs, it was obvious that they weren't following the Lord, i.e. that power wasn't coming from the Holy Spirit, and it was the giveaway. So therefore, the gathering demoniacs were obvious demonization, because there was this one thing, this one thing, they could break chains. And not because like they were muscle men performing and or stuff like that. That was the giveaway. They could break chains because they had evil spirits inside of them that were giving them supernatural strength. And the supernatural strength was simply the counterfeit of the gift of the spirit that Samson had. Everything God does, Satan will try to counterfeit. All right. So that is an example. Uh, another example, someone who can levitate. Some occultists can levitate. I'm not talking about the illusionists, I'm not talking about Paul Daniels here. I'm not talking about the conjurers, I mean, they, they're doing it with mirrors and stuff. That is illusion. That's a trick. I'm talking about these people who can levitate. And there are occultists who can sit cross-legged three foot above the floor. Now, that is not physically possible. That is clearly supernatural, okay? They are people who are demonized. Uh, levitation, stick that down as a counterfeit to the rapture if you like, all right. Uh, you know, but 
occultists can levitate. Now then, another such example, now I've got to be careful on this one, but for instance, if, if someone ends up uh, yelling, uh, screaming or talking um, in a voice clearly not their own, and even sometimes with, with their lips not moving at all and the voice is coming from inside them but not through their vocal cords. Now, in an instance like that, all right, you've got obvious demonization. You've got to be a little bit careful with someone talking in a voice not their own because, I mean, people can come up with trickery in their voices and stuff like that. Um, you know, but, I mean, it's like I can remember once praying for someone, all right, and this, this woman, she had an evil spirit, all right, and, and, and as it came out, it screamed. What was so interesting about it, all right, the scream, the scream came out of her mouth <laughs> and, and the scream itself moved across the room. As, as the demon left, the, the scream, the source of the scream moved across the room with the demon. Can you see what I mean? So it wasn't just like a scream that got louder and louder in her voice and then ended. The scream started in her mouth and it ended up going out through the window. It shot across the room. Can you see? Something like that. You're talking obvious demonization. And remember, when we saw the thing about familiar spirits earlier on in this series, or the ob spirits, as they're called in the Hebrew, the idea of that was ventriloquist. And it was simply uh, because the spirits would speak through the mediums without using the medium's voice. You know, the, the voice would come through the body, but it wasn't coming from the vocal cords of the person who was, whose mouth the words were coming out of. So with something like that, you've got obvious demonization. Um, you know, but go easy on just that someone speaks in a voice not their own, all right? Because uh, that might be a demon, but that, that's not necessarily obvious because some people are very clever. And, and also, if you've got someone who is unhinged and is convinced that they're demonized, they're absolutely convinced that they've got demons. They will act as if they've got demons. Gizzy, they haven't got demons. But if you really believe something, you, you tend to live it out, don't you? So if someone is really convinced they've got demons, utterly, for some reason there are some Christians, their life depends on having demons. Don't ask me why, but I've met them, I've spent hours and hours with them. For some reason, all they want is to know they've got demons. And, and so the, these people can actually end up, at, they'll provide the so-called manifestations. You know, but certainly when you get like voices and the mouth isn't moving and, or a male voice coming out of a, a female or, or a female voice coming out of a male, I mean, you know there that, that you're talking obvious um, demonization there. Um, for instance, uh, you, you get people also who have supernatural power they might have it from occultic sources, um, or, or there are people with supernatural power because they're involved in non-Christian religions. Um, I mean, it's like, for instance, healing. Uh, healing is in no way limited to the true Christian church. Um, that can be, if people have the power to heal, they might not be Christians. If they're not Christians, that is the power of demons. There you have someone I'm not talking about someone who can convince you that your headache's gone away. I'm talking about someone who you might go with something physically, visibly, observably wrong with you, okay? And this occult healer does whatever he does to you and it's gone, you're healed. That occult healer is obviously demonized. Can you see he's doing something that is supernatural, but he's not doing it um, as a result of following the Lord. 
Um, thought transference. Uh, you get people who can literally transfer their thoughts. That is an occultic thing. Uh, the, the mind thing, I was into that. Uh, well, into it. I didn't learn it. I could just do it. <laughs> All right. Uh, when you get that kind of stuff, you know, people who can, you know, dip into other people's minds and stuff like that. No human being has the power to do that, incidentally. No one can read minds, but evil spirits seems they can. All right. So, therefore, someone who can do that, obvious demonization, foretelling the future, obvious demonization, because there is no access to the future at all. So, when you get these clairvoyants or things like that, and they make predictions, you know, and the predictions come true, obvious demonization. Um, people who cast spells with success, and uh, there are witches who can. Uh, Doreen Irving, before she became a Christian, she could kill a bird in flight at 30 yards. Obvious demonization. Um, or someone acting as a medium, you know, sort of like, you know, the old spiritualists. Uh, I, the ones who the spirit comes through them, uh, you know, so that they open themselves and a spirit comes through them and speaks to you. The mouth isn't moving, voice isn't their own. Obvious demonization, all right. So, Occult powers, clearly supernatural occult powers are a sign of obvious demonization. And also, coming back to sort of like, you know, religions, um, the kind of stuff where the Mormons, all right, the Mormon church are having a charismatic renewal. Uh, now, now, Christians haven't yet got ecumenical to the point where they're trying to join up with them, but I really predict it won't be that long. But the Mormon church has a charismatic renewal going on. A larger number of Mormons now are getting baptized in the Spirit, they're speaking in tongues, they lay hands on each other, they minister the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Mormons are not Christians. They do not believe that Jesus is the Lord God. They do not live in any way at all by the teaching of the Bible. They are not Christians. And yet they have the gifts of the Spirit. Well, they do. Not the Holy Spirit, but other spirits. Clear case of demonization. All right. It's that simple. So I'm going to state demonization, two forms. There is obvious demonization, and there is non-obvious demonization. And non-obvious demonization requires a revelational gift of the Holy Spirit to be detected, i.e. the discernment of spirits, which we start to move on to next time. However, with obvious demonization, there is only one obvious way. There is only one way that you can ever, if you like, uh, what would be the word, diagnose that someone has a demon. And it's simply, if that person has or is subject to supernatural power that doesn't have its source in the Holy Spirit. Anything outside of that is not obvious demonization in the slightest, all right? So, in the absence of clearly supernatural things happening, demonization can never be assumed. If you're dealing with someone who is a supernatural person, but not as a result of the Holy Spirit, you may therefore not only assume, you may positively conclude that demonization is present. But anything other than that 
cannot under any circumstances and must not be assumed to be demonization. It could always be other things. It may be demonization, but you can't assume that it's demonization. And there's nothing worse than Christians pitching <coughs> into people's demons who don't have demons. I mean, can you imagine? People coming at you, trying to get your demons out, when you haven't got demons. That really screws people up. It may bring them through to, oh, my demons have gone, I'm free. But they're kidding themselves. Eventually the problem will return, all right? Because it's just a bit of euphoria. The problem will return. The person will then not only be depressed that their problem has returned, they will then, because they'll have read all the things in these books about demonology of the spirits who return with seven others more wicked than themselves, and they'll be positively terrified. They will end up thinking they're beyond help, and Christians like that often end up in sheer neurosis, all as a result of false teaching. So demonization must never be assumed unless clearly supernatural goings-on are happening. Um, I just want to say one thing about the occult here, because obviously uh, as we mix with people we're going to be meeting non-Christians who are involved in the occult. Now it's important to realise as well, I've said that for instance if someone has occultic powers, they are by definition demonised if they've got supernatural occultic powers. But what I haven't said, and I want to underline this, do not assume that everyone who's involved in the occult is therefore demonized. Because let me tell you, the vast number of people involved in the occult have never, ever, ever experienced anything supernatural, but keep going to the meeting in the hope that eventually they will. You see what I mean? So therefore, there are many people I mean, don't assume that because someone says, oh, I'm a spiritualist, uh, or something like that, or, or I read the stars. Don't assume that someone like that is automatically demonized. That's a sin they've got to repent of. The Lord hates the occult. But don't assume they're demonized. But if you're talking to a spiritualist who says, well, I go to the meetings and the spirits come through me, then you've got obvious demonization. But we must get out of the idea of assuming that just because someone's been involved in the occult, well, let's pitch in and cast demons out just to be safe. Here's it. It's important to realize that. Because if you start planting the idea in people's minds, and remember, if you're in a situation where someone is coming to you for help, be they someone who's not a Christian yet, uh, or be they someone who's just become a Christian, or be they someone who's just come along to this church or something, the mere fact that they're turning to you for help tells me one thing. It means that one way or the other, they're going to be assuming that you've got your head together. Because obviously you don't ask Nutter's advice, do you? Is he? You don't ask a twit to advise you. So if someone is coming to you for help, they already look up to you, and that's a good thing. But if you then go planting the idea in their mind that they've got demons, when they possibly haven't, if they're looking up to you, 
they will actually just accept that. They'll think, oh, well, they're older than me in the faith. They must know what they're talking That must be true, mustn't it? You've then got someone who believes they've got demons when they haven't. Now, that person isn't demonized, but they are then in bondage to a wrong idea that Satan has put in their mind. You see what I mean? So it's an area where we do have to be very, very careful. Demonization can only be assumed or considered to have been positively diagnosed when someone is either, either has supernatural power or is being subjected to supernatural power. All right. But outside of that, demonization can never be assumed. The vast majority of demonization is not obvious in the slightest. It has to be discerned precisely because it isn't obvious. And so next time, we're going to move on to the whole area, right, non-obvious demonization, well, that means the gift of discerning of spirits, doesn't it? And that's what we move on to next time. How do you discern non-obvious demonization? Come back next week for the answer.